Hello and welcome to the Cynic Weekly. I am your host, Louis McCaffrey, and this is a cans podcast. I just want to get that out of the way. I'm having one can, but who knows what will happen. Um, this week I'm joined by, as ever, um, the, the better half of me, Christopher Sormani. Louis, always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting once more. Are you you got a wee can there, Sormani? Are you just a wee uh, bottle, just a wee bottle of Joker? Just a, Oh, uh, right. Keep not just just a uh, one or two tonight. That's uh, it's a school uh, night. So. It's, a, it's a school night, absolutely. Um, also, this week we're joined by Ian Duggan. Good evening. Thank you for having me, Louis. I'm oh, also well. having a drink. I'm having a six degrees north saison, which is very nice. It's probably the fanciest sounding beer uh, so I far. Mean, I'm, I've a, got an innocent gun. Right. It's a brewery up in uh, they're up in Stonehaven, but they've got a pub in Dumbarton Road. It's really, really nice stuff. Lovely Would stuff. highly recommend it. Um, and last but not least, he is the the biggest toe basher you'll ever meet. It's uh, Kieran Haran. Only you wish that was true, Louis. I know. I know. Glad to be back. Thoughts on letting the size down here. I've not got a beer. Kieran yeah. looks like somebody who's appearing on Watchdog as the victim of a sort of pyramid scheme because he's he's very dark, as if like he's like I at first they said if I just got four <laughs> friends involved, I'd make a hundred quid, and then, then I, I guess think, this doesn't work on audio, but it's it's very I, dark in the room. I, I think he's kind of hiding the sins that have developed over the lockdown, so just stay in the darkness. I think uh, Kieran looks like the, the the sort of guy. It would emerge from a warehouse and battled Roger Cook in the Cook Report, man. Harpoon does not look like a man to be messed with tonight, man. <laughs> Absolutely I'm not. not so, <laughs> so um, we're gonna we're gonna start um, by talking about something that is, you know, it's been very prevalent in the last um, week or two, um, and that's. Politics and specifically, obviously, um, because we're a football podcast, there's a, a few things come up in, in the past week about, you know, football's role in politics, possibly. Um, that, you know, we'll start off with the kind of positive news, I, I suppose, and that today, um, Marcus Rashford, um, through his campaigning to prolong the free school meal vouchers for, for kids throughout the summer, um, He's obviously used his following and his um, celebrity status as a football player to campaign um, on behalf of you know kids, thousands potentially of kids in, in the UK that are you know currently you know they need vouchers in order to feed to be able to get fed and and this was something that certainly down in England that looked as if wasn't going to continue over the summer which. You know, no right-minded person could understand, but Marcus Rashford has campaigned, and in, in the government, uh, Boris has managed to do a spectacular U-turn in the course of today, um, and announced that these vouchers will be made available throughout the rest of the the summer. Um, it's great news. It's great to see a football player doing that. Um, you know, we, we often speak about football clubs and we're going to come on to speak about football clubs in general but we don't often see you know football players especially the age of Marcus Rashford you know he's a young guy himself and you know how many young guys had that kind of have that kind of awareness and presence of mind to to use their platform in such a good way but he has and and all credit to him. Uh, A phenomenal effort from him and and you know, to use his following in 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 that way is is so incredibly positive. And um, I guess I just wish it didn't have to come to footballers doing it. Um, it's a bit like I wish that the NHS didn't have to be funded by some old boy doing laps of his garden. Um, I I think it's brilliant that these guys step up, but for fuck's sake, kids would have been on the verge of starvation this summer. So how the hell can politicians of the right might not see that and why does it take something like this to to take that decision and it just it's fucking disgusting this this country is in an utter mess and and you know things like this just highlight it and and thank god he's done it but as i say i wish he didn't have to a total capitulation for the tory government um on the again issue. again yeah and i mean people sometimes forget this is, I mean, they've got an 80-seat majority, but it's still a weak government. There's still division within the party. 
they've still, you know, they've still got many, many hurdles to come in, 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 in the future going forward. And I think talking about the country being in a mess and all that, I would wouldn't disagree with that. But I'm not as I'm not going to be as defeatist as some other people. I think that you know there's a change and a shift in mindset, and hopefully we can we can push them forward. But this is a football podcast, so let's talk about Marcus Rashford. Footballers in general are gener- are very easy targets for people in terms of a lot of the time they're young working class guys who've done good and um, they're now earning lots of money, but they're easy targets for the press and things like that. This is a, a young man who has came from a, a poor background and hasn't forgot where he's came from and deeply seems to care about the state of society. And despite the fact he's a millionaire now, He's not forgotten that, and you're absolutely right. It's it's a shambles that he needed to do it, but the fact he's done it deserves nothing but praise. You've got to you've got to hand it to him. Um, it's, it just seems an outstanding young man, um, and um, despite the fact it shouldn't have had to be done, you need to give the guy a lot of credit. Kieran, there's a bit of a you know, there's a, a kind of stereotype, I guess, of footballers. You know, they're they're just. You know they're not very intelligent. They they get in fights and pubs and all that sort of thing. Do you think that? I mean, you can't because it's an individual that's done this. You you can't expect individuals to put their head up above the parapet. You know, just because they're, they're they're famous or whatever. But you know, all credit to him, he has. Do you think that this will maybe? I mean, do you think this will maybe encourage other players to maybe have more of a kind of social impact using the the platform that they've got? Yeah, I was going to say that actually because I was kind of hoping that it would maybe allow other footballers to think, well, do you know what, I'll put my head above the parapet and I'll fight for something. Maybe not so much, obviously, maybe not so much in a kind of a large kind of scale like this, but even just for the local communities, they can now start kind of um, using their fans to back them up, going to the local councils for things. And um, like if there's areas where there's not, for instance, play parks or there's not any kind of like, after tough football, uh, football pitches that they can maybe start campaigning and doing some charity work to try and build funds to kind of get some of this and give give more back to the community and like help the communities build better. Like give kids something to look for for in life and give them the amenities to use rather than just um, kicking about the streets and kicking about the parks and kind of get into the wrong way. So yeah, with obviously being a young a young lad, it should also help all the rest of the youngsters out there going, well, do you know what? You don't have to be an old head, experienced footballer for people to listen. If you've got mm-hmm. followers, which a lot of these young f- footballers do, they've tens of thousands, millions of followers that, because you see that when you see like, there's all these kind of Instagram stars you get out there, uh, they're, at, they're nobodies, but companies are willing to pay them millions of pounds just to kind of push their product. Um, so the footballers should be able to do that in their way as well. So, um, I mean, there are so many things in life are kind of happening now that it's pushing for change. Um, it's change that's needed, needed. So hopefully you, you can use sports stars and they can help them out as well because they've got the followers more than, say, maybe like the kind of politicians do. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to try and make a point and I'll probably make an arse of it and we'll, we'll cut it out because I've said something fucking horrendous. But On you go, Christian. I, I, don't, I don't think it's an accident that it's a, it's a young black footballer who's, who's stepping up doing this. And it kind of reminds me of in the last dance when Jordan sort of talks about the weight of being a young black athlete and the, and the fact that people sort of expected him to... Uh, I think it was the senatorial race and there was an expectation yeah, that back Jordan to the, the black candidate get back the, the black candidate and, and he chose not to right and and I I sort of get why he said I'm not going to step in because I'm a, a I'm a sportsman and you know in a sense nobody was asking Larry Bird why he didn't back so and so and essentially we hold young black athletes to a higher standard and it's ridiculous and we shouldn't. And, and you look at the shit that Raheem Sterling gets and, 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 you know, it's not right. But again, he's overcome all of that and done something so incredibly positive. And yeah, you just, as I say, you wish there was more people who were willing to take on a, a cause like this. Yeah. I hope I didn't totally ask that. Point. No, 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 not at all. I think, um, no, I think you're right, and it, it's just it's great to see a young player like that. You know, 
aware of uh, aware of the you know the political and social situations of the time and and, and not just you know sitting on their millions in the bank. It's, it's good to see them involved and um that was kind of brings us to you know the the opposite end of the spectrum and the there was a discussion on the agenda um which was a great episode on the the patreon uh, the agenda records every monday and kind of sets the tone for the week um and you know the guys were talking about the scenes the horrible horrible scenes in george square of um these uh, defenders of statues coming out um and listen I don't think it's as, I don't think it's a massive loop to just make the point the Rangers fans. You know what I mean? I, I think pretty much that they were all Rangers fans. I think it was all like the Union Bells and all this sort of thing. Um, they had to use some euphemistic point about uh, there were known football targets in the crowd, I believe is is as far as um police yeah. scotland were willing to go but yeah i think we all got the dog whistle of what they were talking about but but how how, how much do you think football plays a role in what we saw in, at the weekend you know how, how much are these i think a, a lot of time it's young guys as well how much are because I, I know it from 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 school um i work in a school which has got a lot of rangers fans in it and you know i kind of see the other side and i see what these young young boys say and and you know what they I hear about what they do outside the, the school and stuff like that and it's it's very sad that you know what they've been brought up with at times and, and what their, their views are in the world and a lot of it is driven by the football team that they support and the things that they hear when they go to the games I mean is it is it too easy to say that this is Rangers fans or do you think that club and the views that are held by many of the supporters of that club, that's what's feeding into this part of society. I think I think it's important to say, and I mentioned this in some of the discussions we had, so if you look at some of the other angles of George Square, in terms of cameras, there's a webcam in George Square, this wasn't a huge amount of people. So I think it's important to put that into perspective. It, the scenes were horrific, right? But... This wasn't a, an uprising or millions of people going onto the streets to do this. No. Right? It, was, it was a few people, do you know what I mean? The stuff up here is one thing, but then what you've seen down south and some of the stuff with the, the right-wing rhetoric, Tommy Robinson using stuff like Football Lads Alliance. Now, that's deliberately targeting young, disenfranchised males particularly to get angry at something and they're being used and directed in this manner. Now, some of the stuff you say, some of the comments you will, you'll hear in school, it might be systemic with our upbringing and, and things like that. I'm not so much talking about what happened in George Square. I'm talking about the stuff in London here. But when you've got a society as unequal as this and you've got a group of poor, working-class, disenfranchised youths, they're going to be utilised and targeted by certain groups. And you see that, and one thing that young working-class males um, express themselves through is football, which is why they've got this footy lads alliance, sort of this mishmash of casual culture, or trying to bring that back. And it's almost like targeting them through this, through football, and utilising it through their gains, because... A lot of this, a lot of the the, the, the the situations that people will be living, they'll be living in poverty as well, and it starts to become messed up, and it starts to become murky, and people are angry, but they don't particularly know what they're angry at. Now there are some people down there who have an ideological mindset that is completely warped, but there'll be a lot of people caught up in it because life's pretty shit, and they've there's a sense of belonging that involves with it. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean. A lot of the people in George Square, you know, it's it seems to be attached to British and British nationalism and imperialism and war. So a lot of that will come from Rangers because of the unionist thing. Do you know what I mean? But a lot of it will just come from this large scale disenfranchisement. Um, but there, I don't think it's unfair to say that there is a section of that support that hold very deeply unpleasant views. Um, but let's not let's not blow this up above what it was. It's horrible. It's disgraceful. 
but it wasn't as if there was tens of thousands of people out for it. Do you know what I mean? So I think we always need to bear that in mind. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, that was very much the, the that's the through line for guys like Robinson. So, 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 you know, Robinson was a Luton town casual and, and essentially a white collar criminal. Like he'd been in jail for mortgage fraud and things like that, who, who kind of, as you say, had this, you know, being a football casual was a thing. And actually when that wasn't anymore, it was kind of like, well, actually being, anti-Asian and, and, and racist was was sort of the the next thing. And that's kind of where the EDL sprung from, was essentially these, these groups who would go and, I can't remember what they were counter-protesting against. But, yeah, I mean... F- f- football's got a massive role. To, well, could, if, if, it, if it maybe stepped up to it, it could have a massive influence on, on a lot of these people. Um, and that's maybe something that in particular I don't know what you guys think but I kind of feel as if our club especially could do more you know I think it's all well and good having photo shoots with show racism the red card plaques and all that sort of thing or wearing them in the warm-up but I don't think it's I don't think it's persistent enough I don't think it's vocal enough um and you you know if if this is a time where there is going to be a societal change especially around matters like racism and things like that. I'd like to see Celtic be the, the leading, you know, lead it in some way, especially if, we're, if even if we're just talking about in Scotland, maybe we can't influence things down south. But we should be the big the big main voice in, in Scotland and really try and push this and encourage it. I think they're willing to, they almost like, let the the fans do the talking, but then never actually back anything up when it comes to a, a club level. So as Chris said in the agenda money, you'll never see um, the club, even even a nod or a wink to that whole Rex and Bohemians thing. Um, you know, I went on the, the, the St. Pauli tour and the Millen tour last year, and, it, and it's, you know, it's writ large. You know, you cut that club open, then, then you know... <laughs> left-wing socialism is, is it runs right the way through it and 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 actually the reality is that as i say celtic are almost it's almost like the plc board tolerates the fact that the fans are like that um and yeah i really you really wish it could be different um and they could you know take take a bigger role i think the foundation does amazing work um, but but yeah, you know they, they're they're quiet at points when when you wouldn't expect them to be quiet. Fan base and the club are completely separate. And yeah, Celtic are good when it comes to philanthropy and the foundation, and that's all that's all great. See, when it becomes comes to overtly political stuff, the makeup of the board is completely different from the fan base. And do you know what? I've accepted that. To be perfectly honest, our fan base have done great work to international acclaim with the the, the Palestinian stuff. Um, our support have been kind of visible during the, the, the latest protests and things like that. I, I think the club just aren't going to do it. Do you know what I mean? So our fan base has proven our credentials in, in certain issues, and I think that's just the way it's going to be. Celtic, Celtic is a football club. The board are a business, and they ain't going to do anything that's controversial. So I, I know why you're saying that, Louis, but I'm happy enough with the role that our fans play. Mm, I, I get, I get. Where I know where you're coming from. You know, I, I can't see it either. But I also can't see it unless the fans drive for it. You know, if we really say, I mean, it's it, at the end of the day, whose club is it? You know, I know financially, and I know the business side of it, and all that. It's the boards, and and the, the boards are a bunch of Tories anyway. But I mean, it's our club. If, but it kind of, it kind of comes back to, it's weirdly the same set of arguments that are had around things like pyro in, 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 the, in, in the stadium. Because effectively there's a level of, well, do you know what, Green Brigade? Yes, you do a nice work outside the stadium, but we have to pay a fine for you. So, so you know, we'll, we'll sort of tolerate paying those fines, but once it gets too much, you'll be banned from the stadium. And actually, that's the way it is. The, the engagement with, with, with the Green Brigade is barely there. But they're very happy to, you know, let them in two hours before match days and put on the TFOs and, and 
dip into their own pockets for all that and be the 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 stadium picture of the day on the UEFA website. As I say, they 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 they, they try to be both things, and uh, yeah, it's it. As Sir Manny says, it's not going to it's not it's not going to change. Not not with as you know the likes of Bank here and people like that. You know these these guys are Tories, and that's just what they are. And they're they're a PLC board, and they're looking after the shareholders, and that's a sad fact, but 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 it's what keeps the club going to allow the fan base to continue doing the good work. And maybe that's where you just have to yeah. resign yourself to. Yeah, it's just, I just find it, I find it, you know, at times it's kind of difficult a, a wee bit to stomach. You know, I'd like to see Celtic really kind of be a voice in all of this. I mean, if we were founded on one element of social justice, I think we should be vocal in, in others, you know, and racism... It's just getting no place in society. It's not even a contentious issue. It's one that we can't, you can't, the club can't come out of it looking bad, you know, from their point of view. They're more vocal on, on stopping racism. You know, surely it's going to be a positive for the club. But, Kieran, there's an argument you should just keep politics out of football. I mean, they, they, what do you think? Should we just focus, should, should the club just focus on putting out the best team it can and, and leave everything to politicians? No, because I mean, with politics is a, is a way of life. It's kind of what controls our life as well. And with football being a big part of people's lives, then it should be used as a platform to help it because there's so many impressionable people with football clubs, like we said earlier on, with the youngsters, like with the Rashford and stuff. So they, they, they have to kind of use it, but they just don't seem to want it. The problem as well is they just don't want to put the money into it because they'd rather put the money into the team, which is kind of slightly understandable. But um, I mean, they've got to, they have got to do something because it's kind of getting further away from the club. Like the, the distance between the club and the fans is kind of getting bigger and bigger. Um, and you can uh, they should be doing whatever they can to kind of bring us back close together and trying to make it a community club instead of it just being like you said a business put, put players in the park watch the game and then go home and that's it you can I want to feel a bit of a connection between each other as well so um, and it's a time when the change is going to happen and needs to happen and they should be at the forefront of making that change um, but we don't really know what they're going to do Aye. No, I, I would say um, Gal, Gal, Gal made the point that, that Celtic are a capitalist club that don't do capitalism very well. And incidentally, San Pauli do capitalism absolutely phenomenally because if you go into that, I couldn't believe the amount of shit you could get a pirate skull on. You can get a San Pauli toaster, San Pauli, honestly, anything that you can possibly conceive of was up for sale in that shop. But do you know what? If that's funding the outreach and the great stuff that the club does, then, then fuck it. And, uh, you know, I'm loving my San Pauli toaster. No, I got a mug this week <laughs> and a mask. Made, for... in, uh, made in China. Made in um, Luton. It was genuinely made in Luton, which is <laughs> a disappointment. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens with everything. You know, it's, it's kind of impossible to, to not pick up on the, the things that are happening in the world just because it seems to be, you know, just so prevalent in uh, every walk of life right now and, and partly that's to do with you know the, the period of lockdown that we've all been in and, and raising a bit of you know this sense of change that needs to come in, in many aspects of society so we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens in terms of football's role and all um on to some actual football and matters and a topic that um Ian Duggan in the WhatsApp was a wee bit nervous that uh, Christian Wolf was going to come on and uh, start rambling on about, um, but thankfully he's got no way of accessing this Zoom chat. Um, this week, tomorrow, sees the return of the the EPL, the greatest league in the world. You know, football's back. It might have been played in, in various other big leagues across, across Europe in the last uh, week or two, but it's back tomorrow. Because the English are playing it, that's that's where you'll find on your athletic subscription. But anyway, that's a that's a different point. Um, Still subscribed to it. Well, I got it for I got it for a year at a cut price. You know what I mean? Louis also no. did a brilliant. I don't know, like Louis Louis Twitter account is private, so he doesn't always see this. But Louis was like, by the way, 
if you want the athletic for a really cheap, just say you cancel and then you get 50% <laughs> off. <laughs> I, 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 I done them. I got an extra three months out of them. But I need to tell the people this. Um, but yeah, so Sorry, the, 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 um, the English league's back to, uh, back tomorrow. Um, we've already, already seen the return of it in Italy, Spain, Germany, um, and quite, quite a few other leagues across Europe, um, but those being the major ones. Does anybody have any feeling on the fact that we're not involved? I mean, did we did we jump the gun? Christian Christian Russell's argument on on one of the Patreon podcasts was, you know, he very much wanted it to change, and and he felt like that that like why can't it be reversed? Why can't this decision be reversed? I don't really want to get into that because it just can't. You know, you can't undo what's happened. But was now looking at it was that the right call should we maybe have waited a wee bit longer I mean do we look like the odd ones out considering there's so many other leagues back I mean I've got a a, a lovely wee graphic here that um, was sent to me by uh, our producer Chris Gallagher um, and there's only four leagues in Europe which are actually kind of concluded at this point which is Belgium France Netherlands and and ourselves um, and then there's 25 other leagues which are continuing, um, some with fans in the stadium. Um, and that's kind of in kind of Eastern Europe, there's, there's fans being at games. Most of the ones um, kind of near us are obviously they're, they're behind closed doors. But did we jump the gun? No. Christian, what you need to remember, Christian's entire um, shtick in this is based on a sense of uh, dread and inferiority about being a Liverpool fan not having won the league in 30 years which he admits that, that, that's where it comes from he's he's concerned that the uh, Liverpool's league title will look illegitimate which is daft to suggest it will but if you're going to talk about the English league being tainted see even finishing it with games behind closed doors still going to be tainted because you can make arguments about the impact of fans in, in stadiums in terms of how that's going to be completed now, the other leagues that weren't completed, France is maybe a bit of an outlier given its size and its status as the fifth best league in Europe. Right? But in terms of Belgium and Holland, they are very much comparable to us. In fact, they've probably got bigger and richer teams in them in comparison to Scotland. But in terms of size, we're comparable to them. Now, what is even more pressing um, for the Scottish league is the... the, the how weighted match day income is in terms of our expenditure. Now, we had to get the, the prize money out to clubs in Scotland. Now, it's dead easy to say that just now that, you know, we could have started playing football. I, I don't think we could have started playing football before August, but then we would have still had to have waited for that to get the money out. Now, I know Christians made the arguments about um, getting that you can get the money out, you can do this, you can do that. Do you know what I mean? Clubs needed certainty, and that was the problem about it. And in terms of where we were at the time and where we are just now, and the fact that clubs are still in serious uh, serious um, financial predicaments, I think we're hearing reports that some clubs are struggling. Hibs asking their players to take pay cuts. See, just finishing games, but playing them behind closed doors, that's costing clubs money because they don't get the, the revenue and they don't get the, the retail on the day. This was purely based on the circumstances of Scotland's financially, I would say. Now, could we have squeezed it in? Possibly. I, do you know what I mean? But essentially, they made the best decision, the correct decision at the time in terms of financially supporting the clubs. And I, I, I genuinely don't think there was much other choice. It's dead easy to look backwards in this. But I, I, I think it was, in comparison to the other leagues that did it at the same time, it was about securing clubs as best they can. And this is going to be difficult going forward as well. It's, it's obviously came, you know, it's came up as more of a talking point, not just because other leagues have came back or, or are coming back this week, but also because our players are returned to training this week. So Scottish clubs are, are coming back to training. Not all of them, though, because as you say, there's obviously a massive financial implication. A lot of clubs have furloughed uh, staff and players and things. And therefore... If we're not starting competitive games until the 1st of August, they're going to hold off for as long as they can before they bring them out of furlough. For Celtic, we're back now. And, you know, 
you know, I would be surprised if we were going to go away in any sort of uh, pre-season trip. Um, if we've got to wait until the 1st of August before we play a game, it just it does seem like a long time of training. And, and you do think, you know, would it have been... A, we all wanted the games played. It just maybe would have been... As, as you say, it's easy to look backwards and hindsight's a wonderful thing. But, you know, I think we would all rather be playing games than just players in groups of five training for the next five weeks. I think it does come down to... I think I think the big difference ultimately between um, Scotland and England who are starting the restarting tomorrow is capitalism. Um, essentially, with, with, with over 200 deaths a day and... and, and you know, Louis, I'm with you. I think, I think, you know, there are question marks as to, you know, actually got a treatment today, which which helps some of the worst cases. Actually, you know what? There there are some things to be positive about COVID about, but the reality is, with the number of cases that are that are on ongoing in England, they're taking a huge risk um, playing those games, even behind closed doors, and they're doing it for pure money reasons because they'd have ended up owing whatever it was, six hundred million pounds to to Sky. So I think if you look at France and and, and as Sermani says, an outlier, but they were getting absolutely pummeled at that point. And and Macron said, no football, no more football until the first of August. Essentially that's still the situation that we're in. We're we're only in phase one of the lockdown getting lifted. So, you know, Sturgeon is not going to turn around on Thursday and go, oh, by the way, elite sport can come back on Saturday. She's going to come back and say it'll be the 1st of August. So so it is, it, it's kind of a reductive argument because it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere because we can't. And actually, England probably yeah. shouldn't be. But there's so much money in it that they're, they're willing to take the risk. And, well, you know, I'll watch it, but I, I wouldn't go. As, as well, obviously, with the Scottish teams up here... There's no money, like you've said. Well, they've been getting kind of uh, their prize money to do that. They wouldn't even have any money to do testing. They went down south. They're obviously having to test their players weekly. Clubs up here couldn't afford because it was not something like thirty-five thousand for Celtic to get um, the testing kits and stuff like that. So you're expecting wee clubs and like League One and Two to be doing the same. So it was kind of rightly so for us to kind of stop the to not have the football back. I think it's also proven, obviously the. The figures for Scotland are going down now, so they didn't take the right path at the start of, but as it's going now, they're kind of taking the better by taking their time going back into the phases. I mean, that's that's worked out well. Um, and obviously, we, we don't understand, because there's not a lot of testing, we don't really know how many players are catching or having it, because, I mean, down south, well, with the last couple of weeks, there's been quite a number of footballers themselves have actually been catching it, so it's shown that it's not been eradicated, so when these guys go out on the pitch, there's still, there's still a possibility that they're going to pass it between each other anyway. Um, and if England went a wee bit quicker with their faces. So I think definitely it was the right thing to, to, to stop the season and then just take our time going back. Obviously, it'll be a wee bit slow with the training, but you can, as the weeks go on, they'll probably, probably ramp it up. And there's also the potential that they can have bounce games. They'll, they'll, they'll definitely be able to have, they're not going to be competitive, but it's still going to be a game against another club that they can have in the training grounds um, to kind of get their kind of, fitness levels a bit more higher for getting close to August. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, right now the training is in groups of five and it's non-contact. I think on Thursday when we're expected, if we do as we're expected to move into phase two, um, I think they can start kind of full contact training, I believe. So, you know, that's that's going to make a big difference. Um, but as you say, Kieran, it might just be bounce games and, you know, I, I, I saw that Chelsea played one Um Against, I mean, they, they've obviously English teams have been playing a couple of kind of friendlies against uh, kind of nearby teams um, to because of the restart being this week. And Chelsea were playing Queens Park Rangers, and I don't know how bad Queens Park Rangers are these days, but Chelsea pumped them seven 0 That wee guy Billy Gilmore get two goals, you know. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't really say that speaks to a very competitive standard um, if that's kind of, if that's a kind of typical scenario. Brentford, uh, Brentford beat Arsenal 3-2. Well, so, I mean, like, do you know what I mean? Like, so, I don't... I, that's less of a surprise. <laughs> Arsenal <laughs> shit. 
then you look at la- you look at last week. Was it not? Uh, Man United were supposed to play Stoke in a bounce game. And then all of a sudden, Stoke managers get COVID and the whole thing's cancelled. So that's yeah, shown yeah. maybe they were a wee bit too quick to they're gonna jump in for it. Sky had said, "Don't don't worry, guys. You don't owe us any money. There's absolutely no chance they would be playing at where at the point of the pandemic is. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not quite Bolsonaro or Trump esque, but it's not that far away from it. There's just, I've, I've had, you know, so many people have had Sky Sports free for three months because there's been nothing on it. The idea that they're not choking to start charging people for that again is completely financially driven." Whereas in Scotland, they're like that, hey, whatever, because they know what drives the, 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 the subscriptions down there and it's the greatest league in the world, TM. Absolutely. And um, I don't know if anybody's watched many of the games. I know, like, obviously, Samani, we talked about the German, uh, the German games on uh, one of the episodes of our own uh, show that we have on the Patreon. Alas, Samani McCaffrey. Um, it's, uh, it's probably the best show on the Patreon, to be honest. And pretty, Definitely. Very, very much worth the subscription alone. But um, we, we talked about our thoughts on it then. Uh, you know, I, th- I found it interesting. I've, I've watched I, at least one or two games from each one of the leagues just to kind of see it. Um, I was watching the Real Madrid uh, eyeball game the other, the other day at the weekend. Um, because in Spain, they've been using the, the graphics to like put a crowd in. In the stand, um, Germany of course had the the, the crowd noise, and, and Spain had that as well. But that was the first time that I'd seen the the kind of graphics in place. I can't remember if I did watch some of the. Uh, there was a couple of the Italian Cup games on at the, the weekend or, or during last midweek as well, um, which I watched. But I don't think they had the graphics in. But I don't know what you guys think. I mean, what would you have? I, personally, I would definitely have the audio. I think that the crowd noise is, is quite subtle and I actually really like it. I thought the graphics, one of the games I watched, I wasn't sure of it. It just looked kind of like white noise almost in the stand. But then the, the Real Madrid game it actually looked a wee bit more like people and uh, photographs. And I kind of, I, I kind of thought it worked. I think it's it's definitely improving the the product. It, it seemed less like that initial Borussia Dortmund game, but it was just like a training match. Yeah, Aye. you know, it was it wasn't good. And some of the subsequent German games where they've piped the noise in, even if you're kind of you've got the game on and uh, you, you know you're maybe not watch giving it your full attention, when you do catch it again. I actually consciously thought that felt and it looked a bit more normal because of the noise, because obviously you're used to it and it's part of the experience. Um, so it felt more natural for me when they put the noise in. I didn't see the Real Madrid game, so I don't know anything about the the, the crowds and how that looked. What I'm hearing, though, is I, I think I read it, I don't know if somebody else did, that they're going to use the noise for FIFA uh, computer games for the English Premier League. Yeah, I think that's right, aye. Which is going to be crap but well I don't know it'll probably work but I'm going to pipe that and I do think the noise does make a, a difference to it so anything they can do to enhance it because I see those early German games and the Italian ones I've seen at, um, when they locked when they, they played behind closed doors before they locked down they were torture absolute torture um, so I think anything they can do to kind of make it a bit better has got to be welcomed I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when you actually care about it. Now, I'd say I probably, not that I don't care about German football, but you, you know what I mean? I, I watched the Dortmund Munich game and it was, you know, it was actually genuinely a good game of football, but I didn't have like a passion for either of those teams. And I guess it's kind of like, even if Celtic were playing in that, you know, as Sermani says, that kind of public park atmosphere that seemed to be in the, in the first round of Bundesliga games, I'm sure I would probably have just about got through it. Um, I'll, be, I'll be very interested to see what, what tomorrow night looks like because, you know, as, as Samani says, people pay a lot of money for Sky Sports. Uh, you, you know, 50% of the country, whatever it is, will have had their, uh, you know, their their earnings severely depleted. So people are looking for, for things to cut. So actually, if it's not a good product... Then, then they'll just cancel, and and you know that's just a prioritisation. So we'll see. 
Yeah, they've got. To, I think they've got to do something to enhance it, and it. You know, surely we can take take the lead from other countries who've trialed things. You know, you've got to learn from it. And I mean, the the, the Real Madrid game at the start of the second half, it's just like a. It was kind of like two rectangles that were in place of the the stand because Real Madrid are playing their games at their their kind of development training squads, ground. Yeah, yeah, training yeah. ground. Um, because they can't be in the Bernabeu just now because it's getting refurbished or, or whatever. But um, all the so where the graphics went for the fans, so you could see the shapes there. And right before the kickoff, or just as as the whistle was going, they had all their sponsors' logos all up there, shining bright, and they were just cycling through all the sponsors. And then they put the image of the fans. You know, already it's been worked on and and. Got a sponsorship it, 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 element. Is it going to be like the the banner we had to put on the top tier? No, no, it's it's not no, quite as good as that. You know what I mean? It's quite that standard, right? Okay, no, that's fine. I, um, but yeah, I, I, I do think it helped. Um, Kieran, what's the most annoying aspect of the Champions League? Well, the fact that it's missing, or just Champions League in general? You know, Celtic in the Champions League. What's the? What's always the the difficult bit? Difficult part is obviously the qualification. It's the fact that because we have uh, went down the whole um, accreditations that we're now having to go through every single round to get there. Well, Kieran, um, I'm really glad you brought that up because that segues lovely into our next point. Um, due out tomorrow is the confirmation of the reformatting of the Champions League. That um, The first, second and third qualifying rounds are all going to be one-leg t- ties. Um, so one game, and then the playoff um, to get into the group stage will be a two-legged game, um, as usual. Um, it's also going to kick off a bit later, so it's, it, it's probably, I think they're looking to have it all done in, by, by September. September. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, obviously there's a couple of things there. One, the timing. How does the timing affect us? And how does the fact that, you know, we'll possibly be playing, obviously we'll be playing league games at that point, so we'll be further along. But how does playing one-legged ties treat us? I think it's timing will be good because by September, we'll obviously have had some what could be competitive league games by then. So we're going to kind of get ourselves back into the whole motion of um, match fitness and then when it comes up against kind of tougher teams, we're going to be prepared. Um, the fact that it's a one-off, that becomes quite scary now because when it's a two-legged, you've always got that second opportunity. If you, for instance, get a tough tie away, tough temperatures to deal with. Uh, so if we've got a one-off game and we're we are tied out there, then... It becomes it becomes really really tough for the players and it becomes more scary for us as fans because that's it you've got one game one shot you lose that you're out and that's a, and that's it which that's that's quite a scary uh, prospect to, to think of. See the one positive I can think. I mean, I totally agree with Kieran. See a one-off game, it becomes. I mean, we'll jo- we'll job ourselves, won't we? Well, we it's might. A Red, red, red imps put us over a one-legged tie. Do you know what I mean? No, okay. Circumstances are different. But one of the positive things is, see, guys like guys like McGregor, guys like Forrest, you know, all these guys that are the top of the the, the, the minutes played league, they've just had a three-month break. Now I know they've been keeping fit in the house, but these guys have basically finished the season, had a a, a week magaluf. And then went straight back into pre-season training to start, um, what do you call it, uh, start preparing for the qualifiers. They've actually had a proper break just now. Okay, circumstances are a bit different. But I don't think it's a bad thing that these guys who have been playing far, far too much football have had a break. And if we then go into a pre-season, which is we'll get them back up to speed and start playing league games and playing qualifiers at the same time, You've got to hope that the rest's done them good and that we're more prepared for these games. I don't think, I think sometimes, and I mean, the atmosphere around the qualifiers is horrific, man. Horrific. I hate it. I don't know anybody that enjoys it. And then when we get to the Champions League, if we do, nobody enjoys that either. It's all about the finances. But if we're well rested, we've got a bit of football in our legs, if the league starts at that time, we'll be better prepared because 
I think a lot of the time, couple the lack of break that we've had and the nerves pitched in, that's affected us. So on the flip side, looking at the flip side of that, we may be better prepared for some of these ties going forward. But maybe I'm being too optimistic saying that because we might just jobby it, as you say. I think, I think yeah, it's a bit of a, a crapshoot. I'm going to assume that these will be played behind closed doors. So it's not like you're going to get the sort of the, ah, well, they're going to have to come back to Celtic Park and play with 60,000 fans. And, and equally beyond a sort of, you know, a difficult ride in a private plane, right? Which, you know, they can plan for and things like that. Do you, th- I, do you, think, do you think having no fans there might, fo- could, could it not focus the mind a bit? Well, I mean, that's could, it. Can, and, and, and it really, like, as I said, and, and, and Gal and Christian and I have talked about this in, on, on the lunch club. And, you know, I think I think Gal's view is that, that actually um, it, it should be a leveller in the sense that, like, in Scotland, Celtic's class should should see out. So, therefore, we should almost expect to win all 38 games. I'm, I'm not sure. I think in a situation where we have big crowds behind us, I think it might detract from us more. But actually, you know, beyond the travel aspect, it, 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 uh, I think I think the bigger factor could be the fact that we have started our league, and and we're in the situation where we go, you know, we go to Malmo or go to Rosenberg, and it's like, oh, they're shite, but uh, they've played twelve games. We're now kind of that the twelve game team, so. Well, but then maybe oh, fuck it think, up. It's fine. if you think about it, so there's twenty odd leagues or twenty five leagues are now going to have their finish off their season now. So the way it must be, Dave, I'm assuming they must literally finish this season and then go into next season. Pretty much, so yeah. That, so that's actually maybe going to be a downfall for us because we're only going to have 10, 12 games in August, whereas these teams might have had 20 odd games because they're they're not going to have a preseason. I don't think they must have to be a sort of run from one season to another season with maybe a week or two break. So their players would actually have more of the kind of the benefit of having get more game time than what us. So it may actually kind of backfire on us a wee bit more as well. I'm going to make two points that you might you could be right there, Kieran, or they could be playing too much football at once. So that might benefit us. And I also need to point out that Ian said uh, a difficult ride in a private plane. Uh, that was that was the point. That was genuine. It was a genuine. You know, I mean, I was saying this, ch- it's a family podcast, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to point that out. Absolute filth. Yeah, um, if you're going back to, you know, you're talking about obviously the empty stadiums. I, I've not really kind of seen much, or um, I don't know if any of you guys have. Is any kind of player in the Bundesliga given their kind of uh, given their opinion and views of what it's been like playing in the empty stadium? Has any day, any player kind of said what it's like? Is there less pressure on them? Or is there more pressure, or is it? I've never really seen anything. I don't know if anything's come out yet. I think every time um, I've watched German football, it's been Dortmund and it's been Haaland who's been uh, interviewed afterwards and he's enlightening in these uh, Oof, post-match Jesus. interviews. <laughs> yes. No. Bye. Yeah, right. So I I, need, I think I need to watch a bit more and I, see somebody I, a little bit more articulate. I, I think in general they've said it's it's been quite odd to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily had a kind of I don't think it's had a detrimental effect on their performance. I think it's just taken a bit of getting used to. But you know, so just because obviously, also... obviously Gal's obviously got the opinion where if there's no fans in there for Celtic, it would be a lot. It would be a lot better. There'd be less pressure, so you would be kind of like skeleton teams, like right and centre. But it's more to see if the German players feel that kind of way as well. But from some of the scores, I don't think there's been actually the big teams haven't really been run away with any games, have they? There's not been any kind of Hidens, so at least if it's still quite competitive. I think, I mean, you can only draw so much from other teams, I suppose. I think, I think on the whole, the better teams have, have performed pretty well, and that's kind of my opinion. Is I think if Celtic were playing games with no, no fans there, you know, the better players will, will naturally stand out more, I think. Um, but you know, it, it, I suppose it remains to be seen. I think one other key thing for the, for the qualifiers. Is that you know home advantage? Whether you're whether you're at home is purely luck of the draw because it's only one game. So you know we would just need to see what happens with that. But I'm I'm pr- I'm probably quite positive about it. I think you know less games means less less chance to 
completely make an arse of it. Um, and it might focus things a wee bit more, but, you know, it remains to be seen what, what will happen. Um, this is another, you're saying about less games. Is, in the whole matches of all, is it really going to be less games? Because if there's still talk of the Euros being in next, next year, there's still going to be quite a tight time frame to get all these games played between August and next May. Yeah, that's exactly it. So you take eight qualifiers and you effectively, instead of doing them over eight weeks, you do them over four weeks. I think I would also, I've got a feeling the Nations League is going to, that'll be the next one that they have to work out. But I suspect international friendly stroke Nation League games will go as well. But yeah, like these are all with an effort to, to sort of compress. Nobody yeah. said anything about the League Cup yet. It'll be interesting to see how they, they want to do that because I think I've said this previously and there is an argument that, that actually where you've not really been playing competitive games, potentially that League Cup format might actually serve quite well as a sort of pre-season yeah. Um, opener. Yeah, I think, I, I think the Cups will naturally kind of, you know, the League will be the priority and everything else will need to kind of be factored in after that. There's obviously still the Scottish Cup games that they want to try and get paid, played from last season and, and played at to its conclusion. So there's, there's certainly games to fit in. Um, the League, the league what, Cup format is quite good for the smaller teams because over the summer, they, that's an extra two or three games with gate receipts that they'll get. And obviously it's at a good time when there's not a lot of football on. So you probably find a lot of their fans do turn up to the games. Um, so that's obviously raven- going to be lost revenue for some of the smaller teams. So there's obviously that kind of factor that they might not want that cancelled too much. Yep. Um, before we were kind of run out of time a wee bit, but um, very quickly, we've got another couple of things to go over. Firstly, um, transfer news. Now, Ian and, and Kieran, obviously you've not you've not been on the, the Cynic Weekly in a while. Um so it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on kind of where we need to strengthen exactly um, and, and maybe factor some of these names in. So I've been linked today with Jackson Irvin, who I think, um, obviously, ex-Celtic player, um, central midfield player, and I think he's been let go of uh, from Hull. So I don't know if he's obviously been liked quite a lot in social media and the press and stuff uh, with a return. Uh, you know, I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. Also, David Turnbull um, is back fit again. I mean, he was, I think he featured for Motherwell before everything um, kind of finished up. Uh, or he was certainly on the bench, but, you know, there's been pictures of him in training this week and, and moving about well and everything like that. So it looks kind of back to full fitness. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear what you think about that. And another name is Ivan Tony, who is a Peterborough striker who's constantly linked with us and Rangers. I really don't have a clue about him, but I think he's only got a year left in his contract and they won millions. So I think the, the well, so we've got the... I think we've got another transfer committee next week on on the, on the Patreon. I think centre midfield is is an actually on that was that was that's that was said by a Joey Barton. Uh, I know. There. I, I, I get I get ripped for this, but um, Patreon, 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 Patreon. Right. Um, I think like there's. I, I don't think there's a space for the centre midfielder unless somebody moves out, and and I my expectation is that in Sham. Will 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 leave, um, and and uh, whether Jackson Irvine, Irvine or, or or David Turnbull are a, a kind of a direct replacement, I don't. I, I think I think Sham has a far has a has a very high ceiling, but I don't think he's going to reach that ceiling at Celtic. Um, I, I think you know, I think Turnbull looks like you know. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be a step down from Insham ultimately, but that might just be what you need um, this season when when finances are going to be incredibly tight. I think the other positions that we're we we, we look like we need to strengthen our our left wing, given that that Elanusi's, um doesn't look like he'll come back and and, and centre back as well. Um, I just think I think Johnson doesn't have sixty games a season in him, and you wouldn't want to. At the minute, but you're going to need something else um, on the wing, assuming that you're going to play a four-two-three-one. If it's three-five-two, then left back is is still an issue, um, unless maybe Lennon and Bolingoli have patched things up, which which I hope they have. Yeah, 
I feel uh, I think I think our target really is the two wings. I think we've now lost too many players on either side of that. That um, we don't. I mean, we've obviously we've got not a, a lot of challenges now. You've really only got Forrest on one side and Johnson on the other. Um, like Ian says, Johnson's just not doesn't seem to be still quite young and doesn't seem capable of being being like Forrest and McGregor where he can play a full season and all the minutes. Um, I think the other thing as well, which we're going to go again through a kind of summer pre-season of fear is Eddie. If we can hold, I know he's come out and he said he's up for the, the 10 and been here for it, but see, at the end of the day, when it comes to football and our business, money talks. Um, and if the rumours have been true about Ratboy, um, if he's going to go in with that kind of money, I mean, are the board going to go still be strong and saying, oh, do you know what, we still want to keep him, or were they going to cash in? And then if you lose him, then... We need another, we need to bring in a, a, a big goal scorer to help us to get through it. So, but then you, you'll have that all summer. You always get a fear of your, your best players leaving um, and then having to replace them. But obviously, this is just, this is the biggest summer leading into the biggest season that we've probably had, we've had in their kind of generation. Um, and it's, go, it's going to be the, the kind of worst. Um, but definitely, the, the, the wing, for me, the wings is the, the, is the number one concentration, I think. Everywhere else, we're capable just now with, with the squad we've got. If we do lose, then obviously we have to look to maybe replace. But um, 100%, 100%, straight down, both right and left wings, that's our first priority. So, Manny, have you, get, you, know, have you seen any names pop up or any of the ones I mentioned there that you, know, you would move for? I mean, Turnbull, you could probably get for less than you were going to pay for him. And, and Jackson Irvin, you know, you're getting for free. Um did he excite you at all? Um, Turnbull's a risk. I've already mentioned that with his knee. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, if the money's right, you take a pot, you take a spin on him because he seems to be. He was in good goal scoring form before uh, his injury from Motherwell. Arvin, I always thought was a nice player and uh, quite a tidy wee player. Um, There's he, only room for one issue, you know. Am I right? Exactly. So there'll be a space there soon. So. Um, <laughs> No, Irvin, again, he might not want to... I, I can't see Irvin coming in and starting the midfield. Um, so he might not want to to come uh, and, and those things. But I, I always thought he was quite a good player. Um, we moved played, him on. Played 30, 35 games in the Championship last season. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's... I think they were looking... I think there was, it was an issue with his contract or, or whatever. It never got renewed at, at, at Hull. But they were looking for a sizable fee for him. Um, so I don't think I don't think he's um, you know he's not been discarded or anything like that. So if you took him, I'd be okay with it. But I don't think he'd be a starter, so I'm not sure he'd come. Don't know anything about that guy Tony whatsoever, so I can't comment on him. The thing with Jackson Oven as well is like if he's going to come from Hull to us, he's probably going to have to take a pay cut. I mean, the thing is, he's willing to do that. That's the other factor. But I mean, be, championship. I, I mean, I think I think it's the two points. So Cham is not a week-in, week-out starter. So if that's the role you're trying to fill, then I think there's a bit of leeway being, being in the in, in the 16, if you like. I mean, championship wages, the, there's quite a good illustration of it in, um, in Sunderland Till I Die. I think, I think at the very top end of the championship, you can get daft wages. But generally speaking, I think we're not priced out of buying championship players that are out of contract. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up very quickly before we go. Um, I just want to hear everybody say, get it up hearts in whatever way they want to say, because Lee, the reconstruction failed and they are relegated. I, I'll, I'll start us off, get it right up. Yeah. And budge, uh, get it right up. You hearts fans and uh, good riddance. Craig, Levine. That's all I'm going to say. Kim, <laughs> Get it up, the wee jam parts. Lovely. Beautiful. Ian? Abs- absolutely. Fuck them. Uh, Hunts without a bus fare. No no football till October. Uh, I'm just trying to find a list of famous Hearts fans that aren't any. Anyway, your boys took a hell of a beating. Fuck the lot of yous. Yes. Tremendous. This is... Wait, wait, wait. Wait, on you go. They are going down the old court road, which has worked elsewhere. 
So would you Aye, it's going to it'll cost some money and they'll get nowhere. That's my prediction. Get up them. <laughs> Stephen Hendry, Sir Chris Hoy. Your boys took a hell of a beating. You have not Googled Hearts fans, have you? <laughs> I have. Um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a fucking, it's a fucking article that's half Hibs, half Hearts. Ailey Doyle. Oh, right, okay, we don't have time for this yeah. article. Right, um, listen, it's been it's been great. There's obviously not been a hell of a lot of Celtic specific news um, in the past week, um, but you know we do our best on this show. We do our best. There's still talking points. Um, Ian Duggan, it's been a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Kieran Haran, we've still not seen your face in the whole hour we've been on, but um, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay. That's a bonus. And, uh, <laughs> good, good to be back. So has. Good, good. And uh, Samani, gorgeous as ever. Not as gorgeous as you, but uh, thanks again. Wonderful. This has been the Cynic Weekly, and we will speak to you down the road. Mm-hmm.